We open the Holy Scriptures together tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, which he calls the church in Achaia. That's the southern part of Greece. He's talking to them about a benevolent collection that he had told them about a year before in the first epistle, the 16th chapter. This collection was for the poor saints in Jerusalem who had been visited by a famine. He tells them in these chapters, chapter 8, that he had also wanted to collect for this benevolent need in the churches of Macedonia, that's northern Greece. That's the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and so on. And he tells them that they were poor already, but they gave liberally to the cause of benevolence. And now he's calling upon them, again in this chapter, uh, to contribute to this benevolence. And he wants them to have the monies collected so that when he comes, the money is ready for him and he can take the total sum to Jerusalem. Let's read this now in the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. For it's touching the ministering to the saints. It's referring to that benevolent ministry. It is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know the frowardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say, not ye, we should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you. He's referring to the fact that he explained in chapter 8 that he had sent three men, Titus being one of them, he had sent them out in front of him to uh, Corinth to have this money prepared that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty wherever ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to, to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower doth minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness 
which causes us causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration, or you could read the word for the performance of this service, this benevolent service, not only supplies the wants of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. Whilst by the experiment or by the evidence of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. It's that last verse that we'll look at for a few moments tonight. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The Apostle Paul does not tell us what this unspeakable gift is because he assumes that we all know what he is talking about. He assumes, boys and girls, that you know what is God's unspeakable and indescribable gift to us. He's talking about the gift of God's own Son, God of God, in our flesh, in order that he might suffer and die on a cruel cross to remove all of our sins so that we might be received into the very presence of God. He's talking about the gift of Jesus Christ. He has explained that. He's confident that the Corinthians know what he's talking about. He explained that in verse 9, which we open with our service of chapter 8. For ye know the grace, here's the gift. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. He had explained it in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, the last verse, verse Verse 21, for he, God, hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us. The words to be are in italics. For God made Christ sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The unspeakable gift is Jesus Christ, God's Son, sent to deliver us from our sins. The apostle assumes that when he says unspeakable gift, we understand what he means. Do you know this? Do you know not this not only mentally, but tonight do you know this as the one who has been given this gift of God. Do you possess from God this gift of pure grace, the Son of God in flesh, as your Savior? Do you possess it tonight so that you have peace with God in your heart? That you know the wonder of the forgiveness of your sins, 
that you have a deep and abiding comfort in every distress, that you have an abiding joy that nothing in this world could wipe away, that you enjoy a new and holy life in Jesus Christ, that others can see that you are a new creature in Jesus Christ. Do you know this gift? If we do, then in our hearts, there will be this. There will be an eruption of thanks, of gratitude to God for this gift. Everyone who knows this gift personally responds in thanks, devotion, and love in their life to God. Our text, verse 15, is really a burst of praise from the Apostle Paul. Bursting out in praise to God was only always an inch under the surface in the life of the Apostle Paul. He so lived toward God that it took just the slightest thing for like a volcano of praise to erupt from him. He is erupting in thanks to God. He has been talking in the chapter, as I pointed out, about gifts. He's been talking about benevolent gifts. He's been talking about getting this large collection of love gifts for the saints who are in Jerusalem. He's been organizing this collection. He's been putting a lot of work into this collection because he knows that the impoverished church in Jerusalem needs the help of the Gentile Christian churches. And he's very thankful to the Corinthians. He tells them that you've been eager about this since the first time I told you about it, and you're ready to contribute. Now I want you to get the money actually together, and I'm coming with other men who have monies from Macedonia, and we want to get it all together that we can now deliver it to the church in Jerusalem. And he's been talking to them about the benefits of this benevolent gift that churches were working on together. He was saying that it's going to be, of course, a great benefit to the people in Jerusalem, but it's also going to be a great benefit to everyone who gives in this gifts, gift. He basically says the great benefit of this benevolent gift is unity. When we share in each other's needs, when we give, to brothers and sisters perhaps that we've never seen who are in persecution. When in the congregation, we're active to help each other. When we help other congregations, the result of that is a closer, loving unity in Jesus Christ. We're experiencing that right now through our deacons in the congregation's work, their work here but we're experiencing that with the contributions that are being made for the Christians in Manipur who are being persecuted and the gifts that are being arranged to be sent to them. We increase in unity with the church of God through benevolent offerings. But all of this is triggering something in Paul. He's talking about gifts and his mind comes to the gift. And that gift is Jesus Christ. 
Something triggers within him. Something should trigger within us when we contribute to the benevolent fund. The same thing that triggers in Paul. Thanks to God for his unspeakable gift. When the benevolent fund is, when we take a collection for the benevolent fund, we should not respond, how great I am, what I gave. But we should respond, how great is God in who, what he gave, in who he gave to me. I call your attention then to God's indescribable gift. Three simple questions. What is this gift? Why did God give it? And what should be our response? According to all of the scriptures, the one supreme, all-surpassing gift is God's gift of his eternal Son, second person of the Trinity, God of God, to come down into our flesh for the purpose of delivering us from our sins. The apostle says this is an unspeakable gift. Children, when he says it's unspeakable, he doesn't mean we can't talk about it. Of course we can talk about it. He's saying to us, we can't with our words express the depth and the magnitude of this gift. We can't describe it. That would be a better uh, translation of the word. Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. That's the one adjective that the Holy Spirit chooses to describe the gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He says, it is indescribable. What adjective would you pick? Children and young people, all of us, God's gift of his Son is... You'd say awesome, marvelous, unbelievable. The apostle says, this is the word I pick. It's indescribable. I can't find a word. There is no word that sums it. I can only stammer some things about it, but no word can express what this gift is. Is that the way you would explain it? The Apostle Paul, this is very striking because the Apostle Paul, of all men, all Christian men, had the most commanding vocabulary. The Apostle Paul was a towering intellect. He had one of the highest IQs of any man in the ancient world. He was an expert in languages. In his epistle, he makes up words to explain the Christian gospel to people. He makes up Greek words that come into existence through him. He was a man who was able to say the right word at the right time. He had a tremendous vocabulary and a gifted hand to write. And he says, when it comes to telling you what this gift is, I'm a kindergartner. The difference between me and how a kindergartner would express it is nothing. I don't know how to express it. It's indescribable. 
Is that the way you feel it tonight? Is it not indescribable that God would give his son for you and me? The Holy Spirit tells us that the fullness of that gift cannot be grasped by our hearts and souls. We know Christ. We can draw close to him. By his grace, we can cast all our burdens and weights of sin upon him. We can know his power and his faithfulness and love. But we can't, in our hearts, take in all that he has done for us. We have no measuring tape. We have no gauge to measure the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God in Jesus Christ, which passes Ephesians chapter 3, all understanding. It's indescribable. It goes beyond our ability of the heart. And in heaven, when we are perfected, it still will go beyond the ability of our renewed heart to comprehend exactly the wonder of this gift. The apostle says, and smiling, he says, I can't explain this. I feel it. I know it. But how shall I tell you the measure of this gift? It's God's gift. Thanks be to God, he says, for his unspeakable gift. It's God's gift. And if God gives a gift, then it's like God. And God is incomprehensible. It is a great gift. It is not a mundane gift. It is a stupendous gift. The eternal, the good, the righteous, the sovereign, the infinite God has given this gift. And therefore it is indescribable. This gift reflects Him. It reflects the love of his heart. And how shall we ever grasp all that love of God for us in Jesus Christ? And in all my words that I've chosen to try to describe this tonight, I've kept away from one word. And that one word is grace. The gift of his son shows forth God's Grace, and God's grace is indescribable. It's beyond our comprehension. Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace means that God has given His Son freely to us who are undeserving of it. It shouldn't be the word undeserving. I should have said the word ill-deserving. He gives His Son for us who are unworthy, who are depraved, who are filthy sinners, who are the lowest of the low. He gives the greatest of all greatness, His own Son. God did not give His Son for us to reward us because there was a measure of something in us that we had come up to the standard of acceptance with God and therefore he gave this gift to us. 
but he gave this gift to us totally of his grace. There was not one iota, not one atom, not one molecule of intrinsic worthiness in us, of intrinsic good in us. This gift proceeds straight from the grace of God. Unmerited, totally unearned, not deserving of this. We did not deserve this. We deserved the very opposite of the gift. We deserved eternal destruction under the just wrath of God for our sins. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve tonight. But God didn't do that. Instead, he gave a gift, the gift of his son, to take that wrath away from us. It is totally gracious. All of salvation is a gracious gift. The Holy Spirit in our hearts is a gift. Faith is a, is a gift. The righteousness that clothes us tonight, tonight, the robes of righteousness in Christ so that we can stand before God, that's a gift that Christ earned for us and gave to us. So let's be clear. Let's be done with this about merit and work. Salvation is not of our wills. It is not of our merit. It is not of our works. If it were, then Jesus Christ would be a gift for achievers. If it were of our will, then Jesus Christ would be a trophy because you made the right choice. You picked the right door. It's a gift. It's not based on our worth, on our will, or on our work. It's God's free gift to unworthy sinners. You can only understand that when he gives you to know that you are an unworthy sinner. And then you also know that when he gives you that gift, that same grace works in you so that you are changed. You are a different person from the world. And now the motivation of your life is to thank him and to serve him, and to live as his child in this world. That's, that comes with that grace. God's gift is free grace to ill-deserving sinners of his good pleasure, of his election. That's indescribable. That God... His son, not sparing, sent him to die to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my God, how great thou art. Eternal God. Jesus Christ is eternal God. That's his gift. He is God in the flesh. When he was born, children, in Bethlehem, according to his divine nature, Jesus is God in the flesh. When he was born to Mary in that manger, Jesus was much older than his mother Mary. He was with God in the beginning 
when God created all things, before David, before Moses, before Noah, before Adam, before the creation, before the angels, before time. He is the everlasting God. He is the one who says, I am. He is God. He is not only eternal, but he is infinite in his being, infinite in his power. The heavens and the heavens of heavens do not contain him. He holds the stars and the universe in his hands. And now he is joined to the flesh of a little baby. And he is nursing from his mother's breasts and swaddled in discarded rags. Veiled in flesh, the hymn has it right, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Who can comprehend this? That God of God would be born in our flesh to pay for my sin, a depraved sinner. He who created all the food in the world and he who feeds all from his hand today cries out as a little baby to be nursed. He who sends the clear waters down the mountains for the sheep and for the goats and for us will go to a cross and cry out, I thirst. He who leads angels and has all power in heaven and earth will be spit upon, will be scourged, will be slapped across his face. He who comforts every broken heart of his people. He who speaks in our darkest hour of grief. He will stand with Martha and Mary before the grave of Lazarus and he will weep. He who as God's son is in the bosom of the Father Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in whom is the Father's delight, he will cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Can you explain that? Can you get your mind, is your heart so big that you can comprehend? the grace of God to give his son, God's son, to die for you. This is his gift. And it only becomes more overwhelming, blessedly overwhelming, when we remember why because there was no other way. 
to deliver us from eternal hell. God says, you and I tonight deserve for our sins eternal hell. But that you would not perish and endure that. He gives his son to endure it for you. God gives this gift for this purpose, not simply to show that he can do this, not simply so that his son could walk on the earth in human flesh. He does this for a purpose, for sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, says the apostle, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners, of whom I am the chief. He came to forgive our sins. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to give us to know the burden of sin. We go to church and we live our Christian life and yet we, we acknowledge our sins, but sometimes, not sometimes, probably for all of us, there is a sin that we tolerate, we compromise. We know we shouldn't, we know it's there, but we go on through our Christian life. We think it's going to be okay. We think, well, no consequences. Perhaps none are going to know, but then God whether there's consequences or nobody else knows, it doesn't matter, then God begins to work his work. And he begins to afflict our souls and we cry out. And then we see that this sin, like a cancer, has woven its way through all of our life. And we can't stop that sin. And we cry out to him. He came to deliver us from that sin by the power of his grace. And not only from our sin, but not just what I did, but who I am. I am a depraved sinner, and you are a depraved sinner. Jesus does not just forgive what I did. He forgives who I am. It's not just, well, I did those things, but I really didn't mean them deep down. And yes, I did those things, but there were circumstances which sort of provoked me to do those things. No, the gift was not for somebody who talks that way. It's not just for what I did, it's for who I am. I am the sinner, the publican in the temple. God be merciful unto me, the sinner. So now we're down to it. Very simply, now we're to it. This is the indescribable gift. God sent his son into the flesh to make payment for me. 
even if there was no one else, this was necessary for me. This is the gift you need. This is the gift you need for your life. We do not need some plastic surgery in life to cover things over. We don't need, need my will to be done. We don't need a few moral corrections. We need grace. God's grace to forgive us of our sins. And this is exactly the gift that God gives his own son for us to die our death. Who can understand this? We know this, but the depth of it in our own hearts. He was born to die for our sins. That's why. When Mary gave birth to Jesus in the barn that night, and from Luke 2 we gather, or at least I believe, that Joseph was not even there when she went into final labor, because it only talks about Mary. She brought forth and she wrapped when she did that and she gave birth to him, first time mother, and she gives birth in a barn, and she finds some discarded rags to wrap up her child and to clean him off, and then lays him in a feed trough. When that happened, the wonder was not all of those circumstances, but the wonder was this, that God at that moment, laid on Jesus all our sins. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Your depravity and my depravity and the depravity and the sin of all God's elect children. This is indescribable. This is sheer grace. This is wonder upon wonder. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our sins from us. He laid them on Christ. Christ bore them. He bore every sin that is yours and the depravity of your nature. He bore exactly what was owed to that sin and to you. He bore it on the cross, and he has borne it away so that you might be reconciled with God and belong to him and never be cast away. This is God's gift. And as I said a moment ago, with this gift of God comes also the gift, and this is indescribable as well, the gift of the indwelling Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Galatians 2, verse 20, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Christ in us. How can you describe that? Dwelling in us. Working in us those first principles of love for God of tears for our sins, the desire to do that which is pleasing in his sight. He washed away your sins and he placed the risen Christ in that new heart that he created so that that gift is with you tonight. Wherever you go, that gift is with you. It cannot be lost not only the removal of our guilt, but the indwelling of Christ within our hearts. This is God's gift to you and me, to all who by his grace know that through the Holy Spirit about themselves and stand in Righteous awe before him. And who respond in thanks. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks in the Holy Scriptures is the combination, the coming together of two things. The two things that come together when we give thanks to God is this sense of amazement before God, not just knowing God, not just saying his name, but amazed before God so that I want to praise him. That's one. And the other thing that comes with it when we give thanks is humility. The acknowledgement that I don't deserve any of these things, that I have not earned any of these things. Awe over God joined with humility before God. We we don't say to God, well, I had this coming. I deserve this. If we're proud, proud people do not give thanks. A proud person cannot be a thankful person. There's no thanks to be found in pride. Pride thanks itself. Pride thinks only of itself. Pride has to be stripped away. If you're going to be a thankful person, God's grace has to destroy pride every day in your life. Thanksgiving is when I stand in awe of God and with humility acknowledge it's all of his grace and look in amazement at his gift. Thanks be to God. This gift is indescribable. So tonight, it goes like this. It goes the same way it went with Paul. As a Christian in the church, Paul was observing the working of God's grace in the hearts of God's people as they were giving benevolent offerings as they were caring for their fellow believer. 
He was seeing the work of God's grace in their lives. Today we have seen that same grace working in us. Yes, it's in a small principle, but it's there. We saw that in baptism this morning and in the gift of children. We see that when we look through the windows and we see the children practicing for their Christmas program. We see that in our families. We see that in the communion of saints here. No, we're not in heaven yet. We have many sins, but we see His grace here working in us, making us thoughtful people for the needs of others, praying for others. And when we see that, something triggers. When you see grace at work in someone else, something triggers. And what triggers is the gift. God's great gift to me, which is the power and the reason why we become gracious to others. And the words come out of our mouth. Thanks. This is what we want to do. This is what we want to say. Let these be our last words. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift to me. Amen. Father, we truly have stammered We have sought to find words acceptable, but we have learned that we fail, for the gift is too great. It is amazing. It is wonderful. It is comforting. It is assuring. Now with that gift and the knowledge of that gift in our hearts, we pray that we may go forth from this place to live that thankful Christian life to Thee for the wonders of Thy grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.